Hi, it's Karen here. And before we begin, I want to share an opportunity for you to help us give back. After my own cancer diagnosis, I realized the importance of having a helpful and simple resource. That's why I wrote Happiness Through Hardship, a guide and journal for cancer patients, their caregivers, and friends. Like a good friend, this book provides practical tips and resources, as well as a few stories providing hope. Now, we've organized a Donate a Book fundraiser and would be so grateful for your support. You can donate on prettywellness.com backslash book or Venmo at C-A-R-Y-N dash Sullivan dash three. For each $15 donated, one book will be donated to a cancer center. And as I do with all books sold, half the proceeds go to the Cancer Couch Foundation, where 100% of the donations are matched and fund metastatic breast cancer research. Again, we would be so grateful for your support. You can donate by sending a Venmo at my name dash three, which is C-A-R-Y-N dash S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N dash three. Thanks again for your support. Let's begin. I want to welcome you to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease and author of the book, Happiness Through Hardship, a guide for cancer patients and caregivers that shares the same name as this podcast. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me. Success stories of people that have been through hard times and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. If you've liked these episodes, please do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed and help us inspire more people. Or reach out to us at Pretty Wellness on Instagram. We love connecting and sharing healthy lifestyle resources. So please grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to John Lawrence, a medical doctor and two-time author, as well as screenwriter, film director, river raft guide, and mountain climber, to name a few. While John has quite the distinguished and dynamic resume, he also has suffered two traumatic head injuries right before medical school started. Now, this could have limited his career, yet he chose not to let it. What drew me to this interview was John's way of using humor as a tool dealing with hardships, whether it was healing from a brain bleed, tiresome late night shifts in the ER, or overcoming imposter syndrome. His recent book, Playing Doctor Part Two, showcases how we can all be thrown into difficult situations, but how we handle them is what counts. I am so excited to talk on so many of these topics. John, welcome. Thank you so much, Karen. It is such an honor to be here. I, I'm so excited. Well, and I will tell the, the listeners, he and I started talking at the top of, before we started recording, and there were so many times I was like, okay, plus, you know, let's press record, let's press record, let's press record. <laughs> it was so fun. I, I 
I'm get excited when the conversation starts right away because then I know we have so much to talk about. So I, I'm grateful for your time and this is going to be a, a really interesting and hopefully a fun or funny conversation for us both. I'm looking forward to diving in. I, I agree. As soon as we started talking, I think these are these are so many topics, what you've dealt with, what everybody goes through. I think this is this is the human dynamic is that things don't just go smoothly. We also don't we grow from our injuries, it changes us in good ways, we transform. And if we don't, well, maybe we're not listening and paying attention. So, you know, I think, as you mentioned, you're such a, an optimist glass is half full, which I can tell. And it's, I, I think that's what life offers is, is when you have hardships, how do you look at it? How do you, uh, as, as one of my friends, I mentioned, uh, Chris Waddell, who's a Paralympian who had a terrible traumatic injury. He gives lectures on, on, on how we label ourselves. And his message is it's not, what happens to us is what we do with it. So. So please, why don't you jump in? Because as I'm sitting here introducing you, I want to give you justice because like I said, you've got quite the resume. And I'll tell you the one thing I didn't oh, mention is how in his bio, he also talks about how he was a bagel baker. I'm like, I love that just show, that just shows the personality there. But I'd like you to jump in and, and share with the listeners a little bit about your story the path you were going down, the hardships you hit, and then how you walked towards not so much healing yourself, but let's say dealing with it, like your friend Chris had mentioned. Okay. So I think one of the one of the reasons we all like to mention sports and analogies and metaphors is it's easy to get the physical part. So that's why I think when people hear about a head injury, even though we can't visualize it, we understand there was an injury. Before I went to medical school, I was questioning myself in all sorts of ways, which I think maybe some people don't give themselves credit for He's, you know, I felt, you know, the imposter syndrome started early after college, you know, what are you going to do? I don't know exactly. How am I supposed to know? There's lots of exciting things in the world. What are you going to do? And I kept changing paths, which was certainly frustrating to my career advisors. And um, when they asked what I wanted to do, I just said, I don't know, but the only thing I don't want to be is a doctor. So, so that set me up for obviously eventually pursuing a path and, in medicine. So I came about it uncertainly, never took a single pre-med class in college, had to go back and uh, uh, take all the pre-med classes later. Um, and so certainly felt like, oh man, I'm coming to this from, uh, as an underdog. I, I went to, uh, I went to some of the community colleges and state universities down like SUNY near you to, to do my pre-med classes. And I was like, you know, this doesn't look as good as the people applying to medical school who are going to Ivy league schools and such. And um, I eventually, as the first chapter of my book mentions, it was basically through gender altering surgeries. The only reason I got into medical school, there's a, a story there, not mine, but um, I get into medical school and then right before you asked, is it right before? And it really was right before medical school. So four weeks before medical school started, I woke up in the neurology ward of the hospital surrounded by friends. I, I couldn't really tell what had happened. So I just had kind of had this like tunnel vision you can't think, why is everybody looking at me? What's going on? And um, I had a bleed in my brain from a mountain bike crash. And I actually remember uh, a friend of mine, um, uh, who I, I was a woman I was dating at the time, and we had had a very good relationship and been quite stressful for different reasons. And she just said, I've never seen you anything but happy. That's the first time I've ever seen you scared or different or anything with us, you know, not having a smile on your face. You know, so she got terrified that she could tell I was terrified. And the, and I think I left around 20 messages at my work that night, the restaurant I worked at, just saying, I, I won't be able to make it in. I'm in the hospital. Hang up, call back. I won't be able to make it in. I'm, 
I'm in the hospital. And then four weeks later, my friends took me out for um, another mountain bike ride. And it was a lovely five hour ride. And I was so careful, so careful. And as you can see the car, I, I let the just coast down the smooth trail. And all of a sudden I'm flying upside down and smashed into a tree and hit my head again and develop second impact syndrome. So increased swelling, which can be potentially fatal. Uh, in my case, I, you know, and I got lucky that it was just a lot of swelling, but it, it you know, caused a lot worse concussion syndromes. And the next day medical school started. So, um, so that was my start to medical school showing up bloody and swathed in gauze everywhere and, and, you know, unable to really figure out what was going on, not able to stay awake and dealing with terrible headaches. And so that was my introduction to medical school. Well, and med school, I would think you're probably going to be stressed out and nervous about the intensity of it all. And here you're going into it with such a hardship trying to figure out you know, how to heal and how to deal. There was certainly, <laughs> there's probably not the best way to start. Um, it was, you know, I think there's those external injuries, you know, just the physical, how do you physically deal with this? And that was um, first year of medical school is rote memorization. It's just books after books after books of just, and test after test after test. And I would just turn pages and have no idea what, what studied, you know, what I just read. I just go, what's, what book am I reading? Start again, read the page, turn it. I don't, I forgot everything. So it became this real interesting self treatment. How do I, how do I heal from this physically? Because there wasn't a lot of, I, I couldn't remember how to get home sometimes. So I, I remember I, I finally went through the hospital back to the neuro ward and was like, guys, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm lost. I can't get home. I can't stay awake. And they're like, well, it's a head injury. You know, it's just going to take time. And so that was as much instruction as you got was it's going to take time. So I started making up games. You know, I would play chess against myself. I would go for runs and like, you know, count up to hundred by twos in French down by threes in Spanish up by, you know, I would just be trying to trigger anything to make your brain work. And so physically, that was hard. I think, as you mentioned, there's also almost those internal issues. You know, how, what am I doing here? All these other kids, you know, are, were pre-med students, you know, you know, they were, this is what they wanted to do. They all knew each other. They've been on this path together. And here I was, I don't know what I'm doing here to begin with. I already wasn't sure if I should be going to medical school. And here I'm going, I can't keep up. I don't know enough. I'm, you know, the, and the very first test, you know, they tell you not to change your answers. <laughs> multiple choice. I just remember changing every answer every time had the lowest grade in the, in the, in the class, you know, I, I, you know, just, a, which I never had, you know, school used to come easy to me. And I finally had to go tell them, I was like, they're going to kick me out of school. I can't survive. So I went and finally told the administrators I've, I've had a, you know, some traumatic head injuries and <laughs> this isn't going very well. And, um, they were very, they were very supportive and, and put me in touch with a therapist. Unfortunately, she had just lost her husband and so we just ended up talking about relationships and, you know, it was just a nice support, but it didn't, um, I'm not sure how much it helped my head injury status. So, Wow. So as you're saying this, I mean, it, in sharing your story, it would have been so easy for you to quit. You had the reason and you were also questioning everything inside. Did you belong there? I guess earlier on, did you want to be a doctor? What made you stay and continue on that path? <laughs> Oh, if we only knew that now, looking back all these years, I don't know if I would have completed it. Um, I didn't know there was an option. I think that was just part of what life is. You go, well, this is what you do. You just, you just pursue. I think there was a little bit of, um, 
a little bit of a stubbornness, just saying, I'll show everybody. I can, you know, I think so many people had questioned why I was going to medical school that you can't do it and you won't get in and how you're going to pay for it and all these reasons. And there's, so there's definitely that sense you told me, well, now that you've told me I can't do it, let me show you. So certainly just having a positive attitude that I can do this and um, helped. And I did, there certainly was a lot of, um, you did have to smile through it. You just, you just smile and keep going. So um, as much as it was troublesome, as much as I was going, I don't know how I'm going to get through. I actually don't ever think I thought I was going to leave. I think years later, I thought this is not what I want to do. I questioned medicine. I mean, I've, I've practiced for many years and it's been a wonderful um, uh, career for different reasons, but I certainly questioned medicine for different reasons. But in terms of my own physical abilities, I was like, I will just keep going. And there was a wonderful, I remember there was a far side cartoon this doctor showed me of these two devils, you know, with the full horns and the spears and they're down in, you know, this fiery hell. And there's this guy with the wheelbarrow just pushing rocks and he's whistling like he's just the happiest guy. And the two devils are saying, we're just not getting through to that guy. And I was like, that is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be that guy. No matter how hard they are on me, no matter how much they, they push me and my grades aren't perfect, I'm just going to keep whistling and smiling. And so my friends would even say, like, you're the only person who smiles through medical school. What's going on? And it's all I got right now. So. Okay. So on that note, I hear you because I feel like I'm in some similar ways, that person too. I'm a glass half full. I want to whistle while you work. I remember vividly somebody telling me about how when I would walk down the hallway, just at, at our workplace, I just have a big smile on my face. And that would always make him smile because even if he was in a bad mood, he'd see me doing that. And, and that, I mean, that feels great. But the question then is, is for the people out there that are not wired like us, because we are all wired differently. And how do you share the message authentically, like tapping into your positivity or in, in some cases tapping into humor can really help whatever hardship you're going through? How do they do it? And do you have any suggestions? Well, let, let me ask you this. Let me, I'm going to throw it back to you because those are fantastic questions. Did you ever find, because I know, I know the answer to me, that it's you can smile externally you can use humor and then at the end of the day you don't just want to sit down and be like oh my goodness i was just putting that front up to get through the day and whereas internally it was really eating you up or were you always when you were positive nope positive positive and laughing and smiling or sometimes is that what you used to get through and on the inside you knew it was it's still painful not not as a facade or fake but sometimes does you know what i'm saying sometimes if you act it physically externally it starts to cause the internal to change so I, I want to say sort of. I think in my case, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And so if I'm, while I do look at situations and see the, the positive side of it, if I'm like fiery upset or super stressed out, I have a really hard time showing the world something fake. I mean, like to walk inside the grocery store, I, I wouldn't be in tears like that. Or if I had to show up for something, say at my son's school, I could, I could put on like a, a smile, but I think people know because they see it in my eyes. Like if you know me, I think that for me, I found, and especially after the stage four diagnosis, that it was so dark and my head went to the worst place possible that it was so uncomfortable that when mm. I, I found that when I looked at something positive, it gave me hope. And having hope was really powerful. And so that was the tool. And even if it's 
hope that was so far-fetched. that But it came from a place of authenticity. And so that made me feel better. Now, I'm not oh, sure if that, that answers your question, but that is like hope to anybody is such a powerful tool. And it definitely was for me. Absolutely. That's... um. And I think that's when you asked me how I got through or, you know, did you think about quitting? I always had that hope. I knew like, you know, you will just keep going. You will do this. The the humor though, I think comes in multiple levels. There's so many ways that people can, you know, we, we were laughing saying, we're not really funny people. I don't consider myself a funny person, but I can look at the world in a funny way. So I think, you know, in the hospital, there's naturally, I think, especially in the hospital settings, there's a lot of hardship just i mean people are coming in injured or sick and stressed and 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 they're long hours i mean every doctor nurse you know staff worker in the hospital they work long hours overnights weekends you know holidays and that's how they all get through it you know there's just such a wonderful camaraderie of we're just going to giggle through this and in the worst of situations sometimes you're just going you have to you know there can be tears and exhaustion but you'll just make each other laugh and pick each other up and I'm, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to have, um, to have, and at the time in medical school, to have a, a, a wonderful group of friends, and we laugh a lot together. So I think you can have the humor that gets you through the moment, and you have the humor that just recharges you and makes you realize, okay, I'm going to get out of the hospital, I'm going to be laughing with my friends in a few hours, and that's going to make everything so much better. And, and you mentioned it even earlier, saying sometimes, you know, there are studies just on, you know, patients with cancer saying, you know what? watch funny movies. Don't sit there and watch the dramas and cry. You know, I, I think so. I love movies that sometimes make you cry. My wife will make fun of me and say, you know, you don't, you don't cry at the birth of our kids, but you watch a sports film and you're blubbering. But I think movies give us such a, uh, an ability to laugh safely. And, you know, if you can just, you know, having that humor that way sometimes is what gets us through. Well, and, and my husband and I are such a fan of sitcoms. It's really wonderful. And again, it's my opinion, but I laugh hysterically at friends. I mean, you, like they are, the, the writers are re, must be really witty. Keenan, if you ever watch the show, which is on now, I think it's on ABC. I mean, or no, excuse me, it's on NBC because he's, a, uh, he's a, I'd say a Saturday Night Live alum, which I think he's still on from time to time. It's NBC. The show's hilarious. They're like, sometimes the writers or even the actors are really witty. And so no matter where our day goes, if we've got these shows that we can go back to to watch and laugh you kind of forget what's going on in the in the day to day. That's why I always was such a huge Adam Sandler fan or Will Ferrell. Mm. And again, that's my humor. You got to find, um, <laughs> you got to find the find the the humor that you like. But that is that was something that helped me a lot. And as I as I was saying to you, I don't consider myself funny. I for sure laugh at myself, and I do goofy things all the time. If nothing else, like I'm my own audience, <laughs> like I can make myself laugh. And if I do, then I think that that's, that's good. But I'm my, my husband and son look at me sometimes like, oh yeah, uh, that's mom again. <laughs> right. That's great. I think, I know I was in the, in the hospitals, you know, I'd be, I'd be listening to patients telling me their stories and I'd be taking notes, looking like I'm taking my serious notes down. And I'm instead writing down what they're saying, going, this is unbelievable. I mean, I have to, so I, I kept mountains of notes and stories. I would email friends. That was kind of my escape in the hospital. You're there for a 36 hour shift. 
And at three in the morning, you're waiting for some lab value. So I, you know, back before blogs existed in the nineties, I would write these emails to 30 or 40 friends just saying, here's the crazy stuff that happened today. Here's me messing up. Here's what the patient said and did. And just, you know, laughing at the whole situation. And it was eventually a friend years later who said, do you mind if I publish these? Or, you know, can I, I, I'd love to, to send these out. And I just kind of offhandedly said, no, I'll, I'll just write the whole thing. And I did. So I just sat down and wrote out the entire story of going through medical school and residency and put it away. And that's where these books came from. And for me, one of the, the joys I've had, because I think I've, I've certainly questioned, as we talked about a little bit about imposter syndrome in my, in my, in my medicine, in my, I've done some acting, I've done, you know, now doing the writing, going, what is the point of this? These aren't, this isn't changing the world. This isn't addressing one of the, you know, isms or racism or, you know, sexism, you know, misogynism. It's, these are entertaining stories of getting through something and how, you know, and, but I've had so many people, people, not fortunately, not just my friends, but people I don't know, right. And say, Oh my goodness, I was laughing so hard through your books and it just brought me such joy. And I thought if that's all these books do, that this is, um, that's worth it. You know, it gives some insight into medical school and medical training, but hopefully if it can just be enjoyable and fun for people, it's, it's been worth it. Well, I love that. And I think in some ways that's what life is all about. Finding the sweet spot. You know, my corporate background's like, okay, Venn diagram, right? Like <laughs> what do you enjoy doing that, uh, that gets you in the flow, you know, intersecting with, could it make an impact on people? And then I don't know what the third part of the Venn diagram is, but uh, to create something, you know, is your purpose and it's sharing a purpose with somebody else. Like to me that that's a beautiful thing. And, and I, I love to mentor people. Like in my corporate career, that was part of the fun of the jobs I had is when I, I got to mentor people. And, and, and trust me, I have a ton of mentors as well. And what I found is that you don't necessarily, or for me, I don't believe in that one end all be all mentor. It's you take different things from different people to inspire you. And I think that's in a sense, what you're doing with this book is that, or the books I should say is that, you know, for you, your journey was medical school and the the roller coaster that it was like in many ways along the journey, we all are on some sort of journey and we go into these up and down roller coasters and, you know, how do we handle it? And so whoever, somebody else's story, especially when it's not exactly like your own, I think can be helpful at finding your way through and finding purpose or finding joy or finding love, whatever that is that keeps you going in life. Oh, you I love the way you said that because that, that, that was like, you're right. This is, um, there's no roadmap. I mean, I'm, I used to remember, <laughs> couldn't there be a roadmap to tell me which decision to make here? And that's life. And, and, and you're right. I think you, you hear these different now these days with, with podcasts, oh my goodness, you can hear so many amazing people that you never would have had access to before. So constantly picking, oh, that made sense. Ooh, that for parenting. Oh, I'm going to try that. You know, and, and you're right. People have been you know, in that hole before or been down that road before and you can really relate to it does. It gives you inspiration or just gives you joy or gives you, in my case, certainly many times, just the courage to keep going. I mean, there's so many times I wouldn't, I was many times closer not to pursuing these books than I was to quitting medical school. But then you'd, I'd hear somebody like in the talk about creativity and saying, look, you might, there was a beautiful, one woman said, 
you know, if you're going to open your restaurant, just because there's other Italian restaurants, that doesn't mean you should stop. And what, I mean, what if somebody didn't open your favorite one or somebody didn't write your favorite song because they thought there are other songs like that out there. So you never know who you're going to make a difference to in the smallest way. And sometimes those smallest ways can mean you cheered them up the day they needed it the most. Um, and that can make a difference. Well, and, and the other thing is, is as I see a picture in the background right now, cause we're looking at each other on, on video, <laughs> you know, for those that are listening, you can't see it, but in the back he's got, um, his, his wife is what an interior designer. So it's a super cool, um, backdrop, but it looks like there's child art back there. So, um, oh, yeah. Uh, this is my daughter. I've got the the yeah. best dad ever. That's so sweet. Yeah. So yeah, you, you, you don't you don't take that one away. And I'm I'm as lucky as a four leaf clover to have you as dad. So oh, this is my dad. That's the, well, yeah. And where I'm going with that, not just that you have absolutely you know sweet children, but the you you never know who's watching you in in your journey and what you're doing, and whether it's your own child or it's people around you and what they're taking in. I guess, you know, it could be on both sides and good and bad, but in terms of when you're throwing out inspiration like you are in the world, when you're throwing out your life lessons to the world, it might inspire somebody to, like a kid, to move forward with a dream they might have. One of my neighbors told me that when I went and I spoke to my child's fifth grade class, and the teacher was like, do you want to talk to the other fifth grade classes? So it was a kid in another class told her mom that she wants to be a writer after seeing Mrs. Sullivan come in and talk about how she was a writer. And oh, so I don't special. even know what I said that would, you know, that that light went off. And it's in, I'm saying this not about me so much, but about like these kids were watching. They were looking for something and a spark went off somewhere that, so you sharing your story isn't just about the like the mentees out there that you know of or people that want to follow in your footsteps maybe go to medical school or have hit hardship and want to find their joy but it's also the periphery and when you I kind of believe when you throw good out into the world you know listen I'm not saying it, it it gets thrown right back at you but that good things will come because it's um whether it's karma or you're just throwing Positive, you know, I sound so cheesy when I say throwing positivity out there, but when you're throwing um, hope and inspiration out in the world, that it will continue and I, I guess make the world a little better place. Yeah, we have to believe that. And when you see it happen, like you said, having a having a child say they were inspired by you is is just priceless. And I love working with kids. I've been um, a ski coach for little kids and I, I'm an assistant soccer coach for my son. And I used to go do talks in schools or, you know, as a doctor, you'd see pediatric patients and that's, you know, you know it's that next generation. You're going, okay, in some ways they're, they're hearing this, they're seeing this. And you remember as a kid being inspired by some adult who took time to talk or laugh and share that. So I agree that that's made it really special. I, as you were, you were saying that I started having this this, this, this memory of, um, you know, with the books, I, I know there's been some humor in my writing. It's very self-deprecating and, and the situations sometimes get a little silly, but, um, one thing that was, was hard to go back to was going, okay, I think I use humor to sometimes as a little wall, a little shield to get through things. And then how do you then go deeper in the writing and the creativity and connect too? Cause it can't all be yeah, that makes humor. Sense. So that was that a lot of the sense, rewriting. Yeah. 
yeah, I was going, okay, going to that really that deeper, honest place, because I think as much, you know, the, the more sometimes when you have hardships, those bring you down. And the, when you can deal with that, then your highs are higher too. When you survive, you know, there's, there's definitely a, that not being in that great place where you really, I guess, what's the right word? Um, honor your emotions all the way, the, the hardships and the, the joy that comes with life and sharing life and, I, I like that honoring your emotions all the way. Now, we we touched upon it earlier, but we didn't go deeper. And I guess as we're honoring our emotions, I'd love I'd love to tap your brain a little bit about when you're talking about imposter syndrome. Can you share with us how you worked through that or what you recommend for people? Because I think that that's something that likely we all in our journey in life, whether it was junior high school or it's, you know, quite frankly, as, as it trickles into the rest of your life during different projects you might do in corporate or, you know, living your life as a gardener, whatever it might be. I want, I would love to talk to you a little bit about that. Sure. Let's, this sounds like a conversation more than I'm, 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 I might be an expert in having imposter syndrome through a lot of my life. (laughs) As you mentioned, junior high is going, I had a really dear friend um, and he thought everybody, you, you know, everybody's personality, if you know who they were in junior high. And I had the just a horrible time through junior high, the start of it. My parents had just gone through a really ugly divorce. And so I just felt so, you know, at the time I would I'm sure I would have been labeled and tagged with depression, but just that wasn't done then. So yeah, junior high was, was the most fun time, but came out of it, found, you know, found a great way to come out. I, I, my imposter syndrome, certainly, I think a lot of people, I'm always shocked to hear how many people deal with this, that you're dealing with people who are successful, successful CEOs, successful doctors, lawyers, and what we consider professions, you know, who are imposter syndrome from the outside or, you know, famous actors, film directors, you know, how they're still dealing with the same questions that they're not good enough, you know, that they, you know, they might've had just won the Academy Award for a movie and then the next day they're going, okay, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. You know, so many people deal with this. And as you and I mentioned briefly, I think even women more than men, you know, are, uh, might face that question um, within themselves. And it's, I think that's what I've recognized. I think certainly there's different ways that comes. I think we're born with it a little bit. It's, it seems to be an innate part of who we are as humans is what are we doing? Are we good enough? Is this, you know, measuring ourselves against what we see and boy, does that, get hard in the last years with social media, making it so easy to compare where we are, who we are, who our kids are. It's, it's, it's exhausting. So stay away from that um, rabbit hole. Um, and then we have the traumas that happen to us in life that make us question that, whether as, you know, I think, as we mentioned, kids can be so inspired, but they can also be pushed down so easily. You know, sometimes the wrong phrase, the wrong miscommunication or just, you know, kids getting yelled at, pushed down compared to their buddies. There's, you know, there's other reasons you start to question yourselves. And all of a sudden you're an adult and you don't have the, your, your mechanisms for handling stressful situations might be easy. I think, like we mentioned, I think for women today, okay, I, I won't be in the front. I'll, I'll step back sometimes um, and not be seen as much, which has its own issues. You know, for me, very specifically, I wasn't always planning to be a doctor. So I didn't really feel like I belonged. And then I had the head injuries, which made me realize I'm not doing very well here. You know, I did eventually do well academically, but I had to work so much harder than I ever had just to get by. Um, and then you're surrounded by people again, who put on this, whether it's a facade or real, they all look really confident. They really look like they know what they're doing. <laughs> and 
I'm going, I can't remember that. They all seem to know exactly what they're talking about. And so how do you, and, and later in life, well, I, I feel like that's still there sometimes with my writing. And I, I, I think I've recognized in some ways it's not going to go away. So then how do you, how do you not let it negatively affect you? How do you realize, wait, that's just a thought. That is, that is an emotion and a thought. It's not real. It's not something, it's not who I am. I mean, I mean, you know, and, and I certainly think, you know, not being good enough is such a common theme. It's probably the most common theme in, you know, half the books we read, the movies we, we write that we go see because it's such a part of the, just being human. Um, and there's the ways I've dealt with it. There's everything from the support you have from your friends and family to sometimes needing your time alone and going into meditation to getting outside and going for a walk or a run where you just clear your brain and you stop that, that cycle that starts to bring us down and to make us think, you know, why am I questioning this? And, and again, to recognize this is just a voice. This is a thought. This is not real. And action. Certainly, I think anytime you're conscious and if you have, you know, if you're in touch with your emotions, now we connect to other people, it's very easy to um, to overthink things, you know, if you're, if you get in your head and sometimes just being active saying, okay, I'm just going to do this. So I'm just going to write, you know, it's like writer's block is an insecurity. Sometimes, right? Is this right? Is it good enough? Is it not perfect? Getting rid of some of those thoughts and just being able to, again, you know, the physical action of, of getting exercise, we've proven that that chemically alters our brain state and changes some of the chemicals that we, we see in patients with depression, so sometimes being active, sometimes just, like I said, getting things down on paper. Sometimes it's having those human connections and saying, I need to get out with friends. So there's different techniques I think you can use, but certainly everything from, okay, just stop, take a few breaths. I had a therapist who once had this great exercise. She said, are you okay right now? And she's like, are you okay? I said, yeah. So, okay. Just remember that, you know, both your feet on the ground. Are you okay? You go, yep. Yeah, I'm okay. So, Okay. Sometimes it's just those simple things that break our mindset that help us not go down again, those, those rabbit holes of, of thoughts and questions about ourselves. You have so many great, I, do we call them ideas, tips, resources there, whether you're the person who, like you said, like write, kind of write it down, get it out, or you're the person that needs it from support from an old boss or a new boss, or a parent, or a friend that can help like pump you up a little bit and get you back to a place where you're feeling a little bit more, I guess, comfortable with yourself. Like exercise, getting outside. There's just, there really are so many tools that I think can just help us evolve with it. And I think because, like you said, there's a lot of books out there and there's a lot of conversations about not feeling like you're enough or imposter syndrome, that there are ways that we really as a community, as a, a world can help move forward because social media is not going any, anywhere. Yeah. And it really is easy to play that comparison game. And I think we need to constantly remind ourselves that that's an, an not an alternative world, but it's very much a curated world. And so, you know, my mom used to say, even when I was little back in those like junior high days, it's like, Karen, nobody knows what's going on inside of you, just like you don't know what's going on inside of them. And so, you know, there's a world in itself, like what you're thinking, what you're feeling may not be what what's really going on on the outside or what people are perceiving. 
right? And then you take it at right. se- an, the next level in terms of being curated. You you know what people are curating to showcase on you know online and and so I I will say one tip that a lot of um, we'll call them experts, doctors, you know, happiness through hardship podcast guests will talk about. And as you know, and as the listeners know that I do at the end of every episode is tapping into gratitude. Um, but before we go there, I will say that, that on that note and related to that, I think is, is having those, whether you call them like yearbook moments with yourself or, mm. um, you know, thinking about what you're grateful within yourself, what you like about yourself. There are times that, if I'm feeling, you know, a little bit sad or like, you know, if I'm not feeling great that I will go down and I will, you know, I journal, like that's something that I do. And I've had somebody, you know, a good friend of mine say to me before, like, listen, don't be so hard on yourself. I want you to tell me 10 things right now that you're really proud of that you've done or that you are not just that what you're done. Cause I'm mm. such an achiever. It doesn't have to be what you're done, but about what you are, what do you like about yourself? Now it sounds so like silly, uh, but you do, you see in a lot of them, a lot of these authors, you, you know, you being one of them of like people who will, you can be self-deprecating, but on the same note, can you say something nice about yourself? And there are people who take post-it notes and will put it around the house to remind them of like when you're feeling low, you being your own cheerleader and, you know, maybe don't use that word if you, you know, don't, you know, don't like the yay, yay, rah, rah, positive spirit that comes from that. But to being able to find a way, just like we can tap into gratitude, that we can tap into finding things that we like about ourselves. Um, I have heard various people talk about how that too can be a tool that's used in terms Absolutely. Of, of with imposter syndrome. So I mentioned, I was going to, as you were saying this, the, um, I'm so glad you mentioned journaling. That was something I used to give to my patients um, a lot when they were just having a really hard time. Um, And anybody um, who's done the morning pages, I don't know if you've done that exercise. I have the book here, right? I mean, that has been, talk about the breakthroughs. It's one of the ones that doesn't, you can describe it and people go, okay, that sounds good. But once you do it, I think it's been such a powerful, some of the things that come out when you just first thing in the morning, write three pages without taking your pen off the paper, not typing and writing. It's just, mind-boggling where your brain just kind of clears out some of that those thoughts that are just again thoughts and for the for the listeners the um the artist's way is the book mm-hmm. by julia cameron and so say that again tell them about the morning pages and what it is and what it does for you it's so simple we all know it but to your point it's different when you actually do it yeah and and it's certainly it's it's julia cameron hearing her talk about it she's <laughs> very eloquent and and explains why she has that. So the morning pages is an exercise where um, you have to, you, once you do it for, is it six weeks or eight weeks? Um, some people do it forever, but just first thing in the morning before your filters are up, first thing you do uh, is just write three pages, longhand, so with a pen. And, and I know that there's a difference when you're typing compared to when you're just writing. It just connects to your brain. You're writing your words down. And it doesn't, she doesn't care if you just write, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. But you just start writing. And as you write, you just write whatever comes to your mind. Don't think, don't judge it. Don't even go back and read it. You just write, it's just for you. This isn't like a journal that anybody looks at, but it does, I I just find every time you don't even know where it's going to go, what's going to come out. And similar to a meditation. I mean, these days with wellness and mindfulness, it's hard, you know, how you start your day becomes this whole, (laughs) where do I find time to meditate, to do my journaling, to take, you know, all the, and and the gratitude, which I, I 
I, I love. Um, but how we how we do that, that mindset is so important. I know I do that, as you mentioned, what your mom said, I was thinking with my kids, you know, they can get down on themselves after a bad soccer game. And what I've had, you know, from other sports therapists, they'll say, okay, hold on. You know, we get in this negative mindset that does not help. Let's talk about first, what are three things you did well? So I say, okay, tell me three things you did well. And then you can tell me one thing you want to improve on. That's it. We don't go into what I did badly or what didn't work and this and that. You just, let's, you know, we know how much positive mindset is, is, can affect us. And like you said, it can be very woo woo. You know, sometimes we get wor worried that it's, you know, it's, you know, we don't want to go there because it doesn't sound like that's me. And that's why I like those simple exercises. Okay. Just think of three things you did well in the game or today. And okay. What's one thing you want to do better tomorrow? So the stories in your books, where can people find your books or follow you on social media? Um, right now, the, the books are available on Amazon as, a, as a, a digital book or paperback. The audio book will be coming as soon as I can get my audio equipment working. So I will have those available. And the third book will come out this summer. Um, uh, at some point. So, uh, and then I think once the third book's out, it'll be on, um, available on everywhere and Apple, Barnes and Noble, but right now it's just Amazon. All right. Well, that's exciting. So what I'd like to do before we close out is what I do for most episodes. And if you're new to me, my son and I created what we call the grateful game and we play it most nights still uh, as he's now 13, it's gotten a little less, but somehow somewhere, maybe I'll sneak it in when we're, we're driving to a practice. And it really is us just talking a moment about what we're grateful for and why in that day. And what I found as we were kind of talking about earlier is, is that it's this combination of when life is tough, sometimes um, just having a little teeny something to make me smile helps me get through the day, or maybe it helps change my mood. And there are a lot of studies that have shown that gratitude actually can help heal. And so that's why, um, that's why we play the grateful game regularly. And I would like to close it out with you, John, and I'll kick it off. We'll say like 45 seconds really quick, what I'm grateful for and why today, and then I'll toss it to you. Um, let me just say that this whole time, I don't know, has anybody ever called you Johnny or have you always been John? I've got one friend who I've always been John always. <laughs> All right. So where yeah. I'm going with it though, is that when I'm sitting there preparing um, your bio and the introduction and doing my prep work, I'm like, John Lawrence, John Lawrence, why do I know that name? Why do I know that name? Johnny Lawrence, Johnny Lawrence. So for anybody who loves the karate kid or watched Cobra Kai, uh, which is the recent, like the kind of the, the next. Oh, we love Cobra Kai. In this oh, household. we love Cobra Kai oh. too. So um, I'll name say. Is Zapka. Um, and Billy Zapka, right? Yeah. Um, so Johnny Lawrence, your name made me think of that in my preparation today. So even without knowing you, um, or I, I really, I guess I started my preparation last week, but um, within the last 24 hours of, you know, I was thinking that it made me laugh. And then um, I guess second, I'll say random, like I got a bunch of new socks. They're these comrade compression socks. And so for anybody who's on medications, they're really cute. I've got like high socks because when I not that I've been traveling that much, but I'll be in the car for a while. Uh, even sitting outside at baseball practices, like I, I, I like compression socks and they're cute. Like it's, they're not your everyday grandma socks. So I'm wearing a, I'm a cute light pink pair. Now I'd like, I'd show you, but you'll see my pajama oh. bottoms, right? Oh, so I love that. That I no, just, there's something about my socks. good socks when you put a good pair of socks on it just feels good and cozy it, and nice it does it just people yeah. ask me all the time like oh i've got a friend who's going to the hospital or who's going through chemotherapy what should what should i give them and i like have a whole bunch it's of different so ideas funny. 
But high I mean, socks, when you're in, like, have to be in the hospital and, and compression high socks. So these kind right. of socks. Oh, those hospital socks are so terrible. The ones they, those little brown or blue ones. That's a, I mean, my wife and I will sometimes keep like certain books that we can give to people. And I'm like, that's a better gift. We'll keep a bunch of socks. I know my wife loves the, uh, she obviously some gifts, the, the Bombas socks. And oh, just, I love those too. Terrible. Oh, they're great. Yeah. They don't fall that's off. That's a great gift for, uh, I love that. All right. I'm tossing it to you. Tell me, tell us what you are grateful for and why in the last day or so. In the last day or so. Um, I am always grateful for my wife, but I got to say in the last day or so, just when I'm under stress and she just is there, it's nice to have somebody who even it's just gives you a hug, rubs your shoulders. You go, you know, <laughs> you just go, it's going to be okay. As long as, you know, if this person reminds you of that and, and she's been, um, I mean, she's been, she puts up with me wonderfully is, is so patient. I've learned so much from her about what love and relationships are about. So, but yeah, in the last day or so, there's been a time she doesn't even realize it when she just gives you a little hug and just, you know, asks if you're okay. And, and that's, um, that's been really special. And, and same thing in the, actually I was going to say our dogs, but they're always there, but I got to say the last few days, there's just been looking outside. We've had, you guys are in a snowstorm on the East coast. We're in the mountains here and it's just been sunny and beautiful. And it just, you just look outside and go, man, sometimes the sheer beauty of the world just gives you pause. And, and whether it's the sun coming up or the, the sun bouncing off the, the snow and you just, sometimes that you just take a second to look at it and go, this is such a blessing to be here. It's such an amazing gift at times to be, to be part of the world. Well, all right, we tied there. We both had two. But as my mother would say, I've quoted her quite a bit during this episode, but it's not whether you win or lose, Karen, it's how you play the game. Well, my son will <laughs> differ. He's like, mom, I want to win. But nonetheless, I think playing, I encourage the listeners out there, if you're not already doing some sort of mindful practice in your life, it doesn't have to take long. For us, it's the grateful game is trying to tap into, especially when I'm feeling maybe a little sorry for myself or a little bit down to take a moment and think about what I'm grateful for in that day to day, because then it might make me, you know, like, yes, I'm so grateful for my health. Uh, my storied health history, I'll be at that. I'm grateful for my house over my head. Those are big things, but sometimes in the day-to-day, you don't always feel it. Maybe you take it for granted, which we know we shouldn't do, but, and there are, there are little tools like a mindful practice, a, a grateful game, ways that you can incorporate into your life so that it becomes a practice. And then it's a tool that's helping you in that day-to-day. So thank you listeners for, you know, joining on this journey with us today. We've gone in all sorts of different directions, but I think we've come back full circle and we've said that there are so many hardships that can happen in life, but the way you look at it, the tools you use can help you put one foot in front of the other and find a little bit of joy during whatever journey you're going on in life. So thank you again for being here with us today, John. It's been a great conversation. I hope the listeners will check out his book. And of course, um, feel free to reach out to either one of us on social media if you have further questions. So have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you could do me a favor and take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. Honestly, you leaving a review really does help us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And if you tell your friends about us because you love us, 
they might as well. So let us know your thoughts. Please connect with us directly. We have a ton of fun on Instagram at Pretty Wellness and would love hearing from you. Thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you so much happiness and great health. Bye for now.